All right, this is Josh T. Franco um, interviewing Latanya Atri at their home on the ancestral lands of the Erie Haudenosaunee peoples, uh, currently known as Cleveland, Ohio. Um, on July 31st, 2020, for the Smithsonian Institution Archives of American Art Pandemic Project. So, Latanya, thank you, uh, friend, for doing this and talking to me for the archives. And like I said before, this is a chance to get um, a sort of check-in on a large swath of the American art world. Um, among many things, you're the founder, co-founder with Bill, Bill Morosky um, of hashtag museums are not neutral. Um, and so I just want to know how you are. And as a follow-up, uh, really wondering how that, the meaning and the uses of that hashtag have changed since March. But first, just how have you been since March? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Josh, so much for asking me um, to speak with you and for this project, which sounds really amazing. I'm honored to be a part of this, um, especially about this, this moment that we're in this extremely strange and troubling. And, you know, when early March, when things started shutting down, like most people, I would say, I probably had no idea that this was going to go on and on for months for us. Um, and so I did think it was serious, but I didn't have, I didn't know how serious. And of course, I never lived through a pandemic before or anything. Um, it has been really hard. Uh, one of my, a uh, mentor of mine died in late March of, of COVID. And uh, yeah, and that, you know, I was, I think that hit me just so hard. He's just like a really good person, Maurice Berger. Um, you know, really important art historian and critic and writer. I didn't realize you had worked with Maurice Berger. Yeah, Maurice like reached out to me about my work. And so I have known him actually through years through social media. And I already knew his scholarship, but I didn't actually physically meet him in person. But um, for years he would send me notes and he just like would encourage me. And I, you know, I would tell him about it's a lot of the stuff I do. I get a lot of pushback, you know, and we could talk more about the activist work I do in museums and how hard it is and um he told me things like you know but you've got people there are people watching watching out for you and your, the work you're doing is so important and he would tell me different things he wanted to see me write and so he just he's he is a really important person and i just thought he was a good person too just from the kind of ways he would talk and then i learned he was doing that with other people as well so um yeah it was it was really scary to hear he had died because he had actually i had just communicated with him a few days before on, on facebook and then uh, like on a thursday and then on um, monday tuesday i had learned that he had died so that you know that how quick this this horrible um disease is is taking people and some really good folks um so yeah after that i really i actually went through this weird moment of um not weird but for me i, I didn't you know i hadn't expected it so that's why it felt weird um you know it was morning and i just got really quiet for a while and i realized that sometimes i was getting really anxious about things and about this this time um i moved to ohio <clears throat> for this fellowship i don't have any people here um and so being by myself you know i've met people through my job but we're all like separated now and also i was just say i'm not really close friends with any of the people i have no family in this whole state so it has felt very isolating to be here as someone who doesn't even have a driver's license and doesn't have a car so i can't leave because i'd have to take public transportation <laughs> so i've got a way to leave and i'm very worried about my health i have asthma um and you know i worry because they I, I know um people who already are have some kind of 
you know, weakness to their lungs or other, other um, things like kidney trouble, whatever, are more susceptible to that. And being a black person, I, I don't trust these hospitals. I have to tell you the truth. I don't trust them. I don't believe they would try to save me. And I live in a city that supposedly has really great health care in many ways, but who is it available to is another story. It's also a city that has got a really high mortality rates for women, for black women um, who are um, pregnant when they go to deliver their, their children and the kids too. There's a very high infant mortality rate for black children. So, and yet it's a city that's got amazing healthcare, um, but it's not actually for everybody. There's that inequity, right? And we see that with the COVID numbers as it's been going on, Native American folks who are the highest um, rate of people dying from that and then black and then Latinx folks. Um, so yeah, I know that this disease is killing everybody, but because of the existing um, inequities that we all live with, it's killing some of us faster than others. And those same groups of people who are the ones who are the essential workers and, you know, who are out there still, um, in addition to, of course, the people at the, the healthcare folks are doing important work. There's these people who are working at the grocery store and the delivery people and, you know, the construction workers, all of those people, poor brown and black folks. And um, yeah, so it's a, it's a scary time because I also see people some of them, yeah, anyway, I see people constantly erasing the racial dimension of how this disease is killing um, people as well. And that's, you know, so it's, it's just, it's a really rough time. So in some ways I feel good yeah. and I keep trying to check in with myself. So I'm not like letting that drive me crazy in my head. So I do these check-ins and just try to be calm. And if I feel like I'm racing a little bit, I just try to sit down and I do try to chill. I think about Trisha Hersey's The Nap Ministry. And I just lie on the couch and be like, I'm gonna lie on the couch for 10 minutes. Sometimes I fall asleep and I never do that, but I'm doing it now more as a way to take care of myself and a way to push back against um, the violence and just not let so much of the anxiety get to me. I love the nap ministry. It's so helpful. Yes. <laughs> but the logic that you're talking about in hospitals and the, the racial aspect to treatment it's such a, I mean, it's scary how close an analogy that is to why museums are not neutral exist. And um, I wonder if you can talk about museums are not neutral general background and then about what's happened since March, it seems, from my observation, really resurged in the whole way. Yeah, you know, um, Museums Are Not Neutral is a campaign. Mike Morawski um, is out in Portland, Oregon. And I, we, we started this as a campaign in like August, 2017. But in reality, you know, it's a movement of highlighting the, the, um, the lie that so many people will say, especially who work in museums, but in other areas too. And so in terms of like how I was even taught, I would say on my graduate training about museums, didn't really talk about the inequity of so much of these institutions, um, the exclusionary histories. And well, you like learn it, but they don't actually like really put a spotlight on it in, then train students to really question these places and demand that they be um, more than what they are and demand that they like, so, you know, the origins of the institutions, um, museums come from basically a colonialist kind of paradigm. It's about going to countries and stealing people's stuff, putting it in a, a real simplistic way, but basically, yes, grabbing hold of people's things and bringing it back and, um, and putting it on display. And a lot of times these places were only open to um, affluent folks or rich white people and things like that. And then 
over the years, it became, um, you know, I don't want to go into the whole history of museums. I know you know it, and probably a lot of other people know it, right? But um, yeah, so anyway, there the, the people, a lot of people think that, or will say that the museums are these neutral spaces. We can't do certain kind of programming, or we it has to be this, you know, it has to be so many people have to be a part of shaping that because we have to always be neutral. We're always some kind of way clean and objective. And of course, it's a lie. I mean, so many of these places collections they have so many stolen objects from native people um, and those objects some of those objects are actually like spirits those are people like they're you know they, they literally have our heads on display it, like it, um, that Penn Museum down in Philadelphia I just learned that I mean it's not really a shocker but it is kind of you know it's like a place I had gone to multiple times for some certain things and did not know that they had um, enslaved and native people's actual skulls or something Mm -hmm. collection um this is just and this is you know whatever 2020 this has been going on forever um so yeah i got fed up basically i had you know i heard over and over about different programming i was suggesting and being told that well latanya we can't do that because that sounds political the museum is neutral and um over and over and i was working in a place where like most of these museums Unless you're working at an ethnic specific institution, they typically tend to be all white people in charge of like everything at the institution. The uh, black and brown folks are like cleaning the building and guarding the art. I mean, that's almost all the time. So I was in a, in a case where I was the only black person on a curatorial team in a low level, like a fellowship job, right? Um, and I would be in meetings for years and be the only black person, the only person of color for real, not just the only black person, only, only person of color in meetings for years. And then being told by people at that same institution that the things that I was promoting were political and that they are a neutral institution. So after dealing with that for years, I was like, no, no more. Um, yeah, so I was like, I, I just saw that Mike had been writing and tweeting, you know, we were both on um, social media and we actually knew each other through social media. And we met, I think, like one time in person before we launched this campaign. But he had wrote something and um, like on a, a thread that was really pretty good. And I was like, oh God, that should be on a t-shirt. I just want to wear that across my heart. I really want to come hard with that statement because just no more. I'm not putting up with that, that those lies anymore. I'm not taking it. And so yeah, we launched it and we both thought um, that it would go on for about a month. And what we didn't realize is that, you know, a lot of people had had it with this, this kind of um, claim of neutrality and the violence that that claim does, who is ignoring, right? And so, um, yeah, and then it just kind of took off and it became really um, something that globally around the world, people have embraced. And what's awesome is it, you know, I put the hashtag in front of the museums are not neutral. And it's this discussion happens a lot, especially on Twitter and also Instagram. And people are just running with it. I mean, we don't actually shape it so much and we don't really try to claim it because i mean we did claim it in a way that we started the campaign but we don't claim that we thought of the idea that museums are not neutral because <laughs> of course you know um activists we know at least 50 years ago or so uh or, yeah i guess it was 50 years ago um artists in the late 60s early 70s were really going hard at these museums and you know highlighting the racism at places like the whitney and the Met. Oh, Lloyd. Yeah, right, MoMA, like they were, and there was protests and um, some important things happened, but really not enough. It's really sad to see because not enough has happened actually to change these places. Um, and then of course, before them, there were people who were highlighting the racism of these institutions. So yeah, we don't claim that we like 
we thought of the concept, of course, because it's just, it's a fact that it's just what it is. It's just that we put it on a t-shirt. Yeah, it always makes you feel like immediately and it still, it just makes you feel like you have backup. You know, yeah. as a person of color in a museum, you're like, oh, these I can we can see each other because of this. I aspect. love that. Yeah, that's what I feel. I feel like you see your people. Like I saw somebody at the airport once in Houston or wherever, and I was like, oh my god, I got a person. Thank you. You know, mm -hmm. and especially being in a museum, I felt very alone a lot of times. And like I said, I often was the only person of color in the space, and I felt very alone, only black person. And um, and it doesn't mean other people aren't whatever. But often people don't speak up, you know, they don't say anything. So I don't know what's going on in their head and they don't speak up against um, the racism and just the lies that they're hearing in these institutions. So this is just one of those ways that I could put this on and be like, I'm, this is what I'm about. And it is a way to communicate with people when you see them from afar. And you, yeah, like you said at this moment, so that was like three years ago, we have many moments we would sit and go, I don't know, we should maybe let the campaign go now, you know, like, is it over? We don't know. And there would be increased interest from people from all over about, hey, you got more of those shirts because I'm doing this and libraries aren't neutral too and archives aren't <laughs> archives. neutral. <laughs> yeah, you know, and they would say, and I'm like, yeah, I guess you guys should come up with your own shirts. Like, you can go for it. Just put archives are not neutral, go for it. So the energy was still there. And then of course, when COVID happened, um, really hit and these museums started closing. And what we've seen with so many of the staff, especially in the, the front, the front-facing staff, right, who tend to be typically, again, uh, besides for, you know, cleaning the building and guarding the arts, sometimes they have more diversity in terms of the people who are the visitor engagement, visitor experience kind of folks, right? So the front of house workers, those people tend to be, um, well, you'll, you'll have some people, um, black folks, indigenous folks, um, uh, Latinx folks, probably not enough any of these people, but that's where they tend to be in the education department and those those people. So their jobs, it, so many museums, they just start hacking away at the education um, departments. And yeah, so Museums Are Not Neutral kind of, kind of came back because people start, it was already always percolating, but at this moment it came very strong about like whose jobs are being cut and how, like what we, when we think about what a museum is, how is it that you don't think education is vital, especially now that any kind of programming they're doing is mainly coming out through these digital platforms. Mm -hmm. And the people who are most probably adept at being able to do that work are those people in the education departments. Um, and so, yeah, Museums Under Neutral kind of came back and Mike and I decided to, um, what we do is we donate the proceeds from the sales of these shirts. They don't go to us, they go to different community organizations. Mm -hmm. And we, we have we've changed them up over time. Um, we've done Southern Poverty Law Center was one of them when we first started. Um, Community Foundation of Flint, um, helping out for children, especially who have experienced health issues because of the, the water, the poisoned water. Um, but now we are actually using the proceeds to support the Museum Workers Speak, the Relief Fund, Museum Relief, Museum Workers Relief Fund, um, which is helping yeah. for people who have been laid off from their jobs, from museum jobs. Yeah. You know, um, our secretary, it's Smithsonian Lonnie Bunch, has very clearly stated that there's two pandemics at least happening. One is COVID, one is the, not new, but the real surge in anti-Black racism happening simultaneously. And I'm curious, because they're both very savvy social media campaigns, have you seen an intersection between Museums Are Not Neutral and Black Lives Matter? You know, that's interesting. Um, I have not, I would say. I would say I've seen... Yeah. 
in a way, yes, but not as much as probably we it could be. Yeah. And they definitely go together because like like we were just saying, um, like who's especially being hit hard? Um, who are those people who are out there still delivering stuff? Who are those Amazon delivery workers and UPS workers and stuff? Lots of black folks, um, and definitely Latinx folks out there um still doing that work. And you know, I think that's a interesting thing. So one of the things I want to do with museums are not neutral. And I'm dealing with so much stuff at the same time. So I always have these plans that they kind of get pushed back. I have so much work to do. I'm still not done with my dissertation. <laughs> anyway. However, I'll cook for you. You finish for like a month. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's like, it's, I, yeah, I've got so many projects going on. But anyway, one of the things I want to do is start launching some talks with Museums Done Not Neutral people. I just put out like a roll call a few weeks ago going, who are the Ohio Museums Are Not Neutral people? And just to start doing some conversations and really talking about this moment that we're in, thinking about what we need and doing that intersection of looking at, right, that violence that's going on um, and a little bit more awareness or something. I don't know if it's, if it's a, definitely not enough awareness about what's going on with the racism in this country, the anti-blackness. Um, but it's under a certain kind of lens and spotlight right now. And I'm actually been planning to do some kind of Twitter chats I just haven't had the moment. I sometimes wish somebody else was organizing and I could just show up because I'm like, I really can't keep organizing all these things. I have a lot going on and I should not be organizing more things because I need to be writing my chapter, which is on the same kind of, you know, or my chapters. Um, it's on the same kind of thing about anti-blackness, about lynching imagery and everything. Yeah, well, that'll be cool to see, but yeah, focus, you know, whatever you need, you know, you got friends. But uh, the other thing about this new era is that things are happening by Zoom. We've been on oral histories by Zoom, for instance. So this technology is new. And one of the things is it lets us see people's like homes and private spaces. And just as the last question, the last couple of minutes, I really want to know both about that portrait, the woman behind you, and the banner on the other side, um, unbought and unbossed. Oh, okay. Yeah, so this is Nina Simone. Love oh, this. Right. It's by um, Lakiva Rainey, and um, I learned about her, I think, on Instagram or something, and she makes these really cool digital kind of collage pieces, and it, in general, I would say it makes me think of Romar Bearden's work in, in general, not like really close, but in general, I think there's some kind of connection there. I actually have several pieces by her, um, and I bought them as gifts for people and stuff, so I love that, and Nina Simone, of course, is this, you know, brilliant important um black musician singer um activist so yeah i feel good having her next to me and then this piece unbought and unbossed behind me is um from this person i actually don't remember what her real name like her whole name i know her instagram name is rayo honey and she does these really cool kind of black liberation banners and this is a quote from shirley chisholm and yeah, I saw it and I was like, I gotta have that. Yeah, like first first um, woman, first black person to run for president and just, you know, one of those freedom fighters. So yes, I have, I have a lot of art in my home, which actually feels good to be around. And um, a lot of like black women freedom fighters, I love to like have them with me. It's like the strength I get from ancestors. They're right here. And it's also like contemporary artists. Um, you know, contemporary black women artists who are making amazing work and I get to live with it and see it every day. So yeah, thank you for asking about that. That's the dream, right? To live with that yeah. work. Yeah. Well, 
Well, thank you, Latanya. I'm going to stop recording. I'm not hanging up, though. But thanks okay. so much. Thank you, Josh.